I guess so. Why Detroit? Motown, but not, maybe not the part of rock and roll. Hi, everybody. Welcome on into the Check Your Brain podcast here. This is the free podcast that's available on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify. Uh, I think we're on Alexa and TuneIn and all those other fun places, and also on Patreon. And by the way, if you're not subscribed to my Patreon, Shame on you, because you need to be lining my pocketbooks right now. $5 a month. You get so many different podcasts. You get this once a week, but you get four to five, or maybe three, depending on how long I do the podcast, extra content, bonus content each week. I rant and rave. I have guests. And not only that, you get guests weeks, maybe even months before they're actually posted for free. How's that sound? So as soon as I get done with an interview, I mix it down, I put it online, and it sounds really good. And I put it on the Patreon. But you might not get it until a little bit down the road. So those are kind of the perks that you get for the Patreon, the Check Your Brain Patreon subscription service there. Well, today, and I played the Huey Lewis song, The Heart of Rock and Roll, is in Cleveland, which is really what the song was actually supposed to be, because they liked playing the old Cleveland Agora. The one that got burned down after a Blackfoot concert back in 1984, and then they moved to the WHK Auditorium uh, not long after, and they've been there ever since. Anyways, I played the Huey Lewis song there because we're going to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And today, again, May 12th, here uh, as I record this, is uh, the day the inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were announced. And you get... I believe it's Jay-Z, the Foo Fighters, the Go-Go's, uh, Carol King, Tina Turner. Then there's other like honorary ones like uh, Todd Rundgren's also on there. You get Kraftwerk, you get Billy Preston. So there, uh, LL Cool J got another honorary award as well. So today was the day they announced the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is why I wanted to do this different podcast today. So first off, I had the opportunity to talk to John Gerke. He's uh, with the guest experiences with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we talked a little bit about the inductees. We got in depth with a lot of the acts and talking about the venue itself over on the lakefront in downtown Cleveland. But then also got into the history of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Why the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and why Cleveland, Ohio? The town that uh, I guess I consider my hometown. And why Cleveland? Why not Memphis, where Elvis was from? Why not San Francisco, where Haight Ashbury? Uh, Detroit, Detroit! Why not Bandstand in Philadelphia or New York City? Why, why does the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame have to be in Cleveland? Why did it end up? The fan support, who wanted it? Why did they want it? What was it going to be like? And uh, so we got into a lot of that with Norman Knight. Now, if you don't know who Norman Knight is... Uh, you probably don't live in Cleveland or haven't lived in New York. Norman Knight is kind of the godfather of the rock and roll encyclopedia. Back in the 70s, it was called Rock On, and it chronicled the early days of rock and roll from the you know, way back in the early 50s to probably the, the glam and glitter era of the early 70s. And he was also on the radio in Cleveland. He was on WGAR, WMJI. He was in New York on, um, I think he was on uh, WCBS and uh, WNBC. <laughs> Private parts, got to love it. Um, but yeah, it, it, so Norman Knight has kind of been that encyclopedia of knowledge when it came to rock and roll. And he was one of the people who was chiefly involved with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame coming to Cleveland. How about that? <laughs> and I got an opportunity to talk to him. So not only did he have the, the Rock On uh, series back in the day, he also came out a couple of months ago with a book called The House That Rock Built. And that was Cleveland, Ohio, and the efforts to get the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to come to his hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. So 
First, you get to hear John Gerke from the Rock Hall, and then you get to hear the history of the Rock Hall and how it became with Norman Knight. And full disclosure, family friend. So Norman Derma is his real name, and uh, the Dermas and the Mazers go back many decades. I'd probably say, what, about seven decades of, in the family. So I know him. I know him uh, pretty well, and I know the family. So it's uh, kind of a cool opportunity to interview somebody that uh, he had some stature. He was like one of those first people like, well, I know Norman Knight. So, hope you enjoy this podcast. So, uh, yes, so first off, it's uh, John Gerke, and then halfway through, you're going to get Norman Knight. So, hope you enjoy this podcast. Hope you leave a five-star review, please. I could go for those. I don't know. It doesn't really help my bank account at all. And, uh, but, yeah, and go subscribe to my Patreon if you want. Uh, I, it's a labor of love for me. So, hope you, hope you enjoy this podcast and the other podcasts if you indeed subscribe to my Patreon. But, again... Here we go. Check your brain podcast. We're going to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hello, it's me. Check your brain podcast here. Joined by John Gerke. He's the director of fan engagement and onstage experience at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame up in the great city of Cleveland, Ohio. And John, good to have you on today, the day of the 2021 announcement of the inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I got to say, it's nice to hear this. And we'll go through the whole list here, which which I'm really looking forward to. But I, what I like about this is that hearing these nominees and then the upcoming ceremony that's, I mean, it's several months down the road, but it does have that nice feeling of normalcy. It's like, oh, good, we're coming back to it. We talked about so many serious things during the pandemic, but this kind of makes you feel like we're kind of nearing that light at the end of the tunnel. So, But let's start off talking about some of these nominees, and uh, we'll break, down, break them down in depth. Yeah, thanks, Tony. First of all, thanks again for your continued support of what we do, and it's, it, it is a very exciting day for the museum. It's an exciting day, I think, just for rock and roll fans. And like you said, I think it's just an exciting day for a little bit of a sense towards normalcy. And those days and those, those stories are important stories to celebrate. Uh, we have a very diverse, exciting class, uh, 13 inductees in total. Uh, I'll go through the whole list, then we can talk about you know, any of your favorites or kind of talk about the process or kind of upcoming key dates in the induction ceremony process. But so here, here is the class of 2021. In the performers category, Tina Turner, Carol King, The Go-Go's, Jay-Z, Foo Fighters, and Todd Rundgren. But wait, there's more. Uh, in addition, we have uh, several other inductees in some of our special categories. So Kraftwerk, Charlie Patton, and Gil Scott Heron are being inducted in the early influence category. LL Cool J, Billy Preston, and Randy Rhodes are being inducted in the musical excellence category and Clarence Avant for the Ahmed Erdogan Non-Performer Award. 13 inductees in total, and uh, let's dig in if you want to. Yeah, let's start with, the, first of all, Tina Turner, because I think a lot of people said, wow, I thought Tina Turner was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, she is. She's there with her. That's right. Uh, unfortunately, ex-abusive husband, Ike Turner, and so they're in there as Ike and Tina Turner, but this is Tina, her solo work after the split with Ike, and so you know, you, you do have a lot of groups who are, uh, you have like a Stevie Nicks, for example, who was with Fleetwood Mac in there, and now she's also there as Stevie Nicks. So you do have kind of that crossover of people going in there. Michael Jackson, another one, and several of them who have been a, uh, had really good solo careers that have been able to branch out. But uh, yeah, Tina Turner was uh, was interesting because it, it's her, a lot of her stuff was very poppy after uh, her split with Ike. And again, and I know this is probably the one thing you see on social media is everyone has to talk about whether it's Tina Turner, Jay-Z, Madonna. It's like, that's not rock and roll. And I've come to grips with that is that it's not just necessarily about a hard rock band with a guitar and a bass and drums. It's the influences. And Tina Turner, you go back, especially in those days, very influential, especially in the in the southern rock category as well. Yeah, and, you know, we can address your, your last point first. You know, 
for, for this has been our definition since the museum opened. Rock and roll has never been one thing. Rock and roll doesn't sound one way. It doesn't look one way. It is a spirit. It is an attitude. It, and it is a big tent. Uh, and I love that. Actually, I wouldn't want to work for a rock and roll hall of fame that only celebrated a very narrow sonic sound or look. And I think that's what you tend to see on social media are comments saying, well, that's not the rock and roll that I know. Now to me, that speaks to people's passion. People have, you know, rock and roll and you know, it's, it's a soundtrack to all of our lives. So if there's a band or a style of music that you love that define your life in some form or fashion that hasn't been inducted, you feel it almost as like a slight to yourself. But what I see it as is rock and roll. It's, I mean, you know, no one ever doubted us inducting Marvin Gaye or the temptations or the Supremes. Um, so to me, seeing artists like Tina Turner, uh, inducted, it's just like, it's a very natural progression. Um, and even, you know, uh, hip hop is the rock and roll music, like for, for teenagers, for youth culture, what Elvis Presley, Little Richard, Jerry, and Jerry Lewis, and, 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 you know, Fats Domino were for kids in the fifties is what hip hop and Jay-Z and Tupac a few years ago and, and Biggie last year is for, for teenagers now. So to me, it, um, you know, actually this list is the perfect embodiment of rock and roll. Yeah, now, and, you and, and I, Go no, I was gonna, I was going to say because when you talk about the pop acts, uh, the the crit the critics, and I, I don't know if it's fair or not, but then they'll say this is the slippery slope because okay, you you induct a Madonna, well then who's next? Is it going to be Debbie Gibson? Is it going to be Tiffany? And it's like, well, I mean, let's not go that far. So it's I, it's, I, it's I think no, go go yeah, ahead. I mean, to, you know, to me, it's all you know. We inducted Whitney Houston last year, and. You know, maybe you know some people thought that was controversial, but most people, you know, applauded that and and said Whitney. You know, we, it's it's hard to imagine. You know, you think about the last twenty five years of, of of music and of vocalists and and the number of artists who cite Whitney Houston as a direct influence, and that's what we celebrate here. We you know we celebrate innovation, influence, impact. Um, so if there was a case for anybody doesn't matter what kind of you know style of rock and roll that they that they are kind of put into um, if you can make a case for their musical excellence for their impact their innovation their influence you can see them being nominated and, and, and you know, hopefully eventually being inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame and then we, and that leads me to my next one is Carol King and you want to talk about influence you want to talk about what she yeah. was able to do her crossover appeal uh, my grandfather who I think he liked Johnny Cash. Uh, he he's long since passed away, but he liked Johnny Cash, and he liked kind of like uh, he wasn't into the pop music, but loved Carol King. And somebody who I thought, in my opinion, should have been inducted decades ago. Tapestry is one of the greatest albums, in my opinion, of yeah. all time. And it's it's good to see that she's finally getting in there. And her, I mean, she came from the Brill Building in New York and was a songwriter and set out to go in and said, "I'm going to make it big on I'm going to make it big in this business." And boy, did she! She really did. And you know, um, Carol King uh, is inducted previously in in our songwriter, you know, in our non-performer category, and at, well deserved. Uh, her and uh, Jerry Goffin, you know, her songwriting partner, are inducted together. But this kind of like Tina Turner, it's actually it, it's a very similar story. So Tina Turner, Carol King have both been previously inducted for, for other bodies of work that they've contributed to rock and roll. But today's induction, you know, today's announcement is celebrating their solo body of work. So for Tina, it's what love, you know, what's love got to do with it and private dancer for Carol King. Like you mentioned, you know, th this year we're celebrating 50 years of, you know, since tapestry was first released back in 1971 um, you know for, for tapestry alone that record is one of the in my opinion one of the landmark albums in the history of rock and roll so it's it's great for Tina and Carol King and, and you mentioned it earlier they joined Stevie Nicks they are now the second and third woman to be inducted multiple times into the rock hall which is which is uh, you know a great honor and speaking of women the go-go's Oh yeah, the, you know the the Go Go's. This was their first nomination this year. They've been they've been eligible for for a number of years. They are the first all woman band 
that played all their own instruments uh, to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, their their debut record was uh, Beauty and the Beat went number one, you know, chock full of hits like We Got the Beat, and that was the first again same thing first all woman band uh, to hit number one on the Billboard charts. So uh, the Go Go's joining you know some other powerful women like Tina Turner and Carol King on this list. It's just a really you know the, those three alone. What a strong class that we already have set up and then when you add in jay-z and the foo fighters who are both newly eligible this is their first year of eligibility 25 years after their first record they're both going in todd rundgren who could do everything he was a performer a producer an engineer he played every instrument he's getting uh, you know uh, inducted and those are the six performers too but we're also just throwing all those other special categories you know get you artists like Kraftwerk and Billy Preston, and LL Cool J, uh, and, you know, the, the guitar god, you know, the late Randy Rhodes, really important musicians all being inducted in these other categories, but, but still, still inducted nonetheless. You probably know this, but uh, I, I don't know how many of our listeners know this. So the Go-Go's featured Belinda Carlisle. Well, before the Go Go's, she was in a she was in a group. She I, I don't the Germs. Yes, yeah, she she didn't appear on any records, but she performed really early on as a drummer with the Germs, whose guitarist is Pat Smear, Pat who ended Smear. up going That's... to playing with Nirvana and then playing with the Foo Fighters. He left and then came back uh, probably about maybe 10, 15 years ago. But Pat Smear with the Foo Fighters. So how about that connection? The Go-Go's and the Foo Fighters have two similar members who are in a different band in the Germs. First of all, very impressed. You know, clearly, you know your rock history because you know, most uh, people don't know the Germs. Uh, but yeah, no, that's actually, we've been talking about that story. Just, you know, me and my friends here who work at the museum, we've been just, you know, making that connection there. They're, you know, that, that's a very cool kind of little, you know, Easter egg connection between the Go-Go's and the Foo Fighters. Uh, for sure. Absolutely. I, I love the other connection. When you see some bands who've uh, come together and had some uh, maybe early who, who, uh, like members who ended up becoming really big at an, with another band or on their own. And I remember reading something in the late 80s that uh, that Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins was in a group with Wayne Static from Static X. Oh wow! So, so when I think of like melancholy and the infinite sadness, and then push it and cold and all these other Static X songs, I'm like whoa, that's, <laughs> I mean, the musical talents there. So it's really interesting how the influence, how that goes. Um, uh, you mentioned other uh, people being influenced, and um, obviously Todd Rundgren was another one that kind of. Because you see this with Hall of Fames everywhere, especially in the Baseball Hall of Fame, where you get guys who have their they're running up on their eligibility, and you say, well, then you kind of look into the stats again. And with Todd Rundgren, you go way back in time. You're like, wow, this guy like not only as a musician and a guitarist, but also as a producer and produced some very big albums as well. You know, produced uh, Meatloaf's "Bad Out of Hell." Uh, Grand Funk Railroads were an American band. The New York Dolls self-titled record. Patti Smith Group. Um, again, just even as a producer, uh, you could make a case that he'd be inducted just for his for his production work. And then you layer on all of his work. You know the stuff that he did early on in his career with Nas. Uh, you're super important, you know, kind of early prog rock group from his career. And then some of the hits, you know, we got to get you a woman. Hello, it's me. I saw the light. Can we still be friends? You know, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, but you know, Todd is so, um, he's so influential. I mean, all these artists are, of course, that's why they're being inducted, but you know, Todd's influence kind of, it, 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 it like bridges all different musical territories everyone from trent reznor of nine inch nails to to you know hall and oats to prince to bjork to daft punk they all cite todd as an influence and Kraftwerk is another one where now now we're going to the to the different category uh yeah with Kraftwerk is is a group that i i really don't know many people who are going to sit there in their cars and listen to Kraftwerk. But it's kind of like with Velvet Underground. I heard Penn Jillette once say this from Penn & Teller. He said that yeah. not every – he says maybe like 300 people bought the first Velvet Underground record. 
but all 300 of those people picked up a guitar and started their own band. So it's not necessarily, <laughs> yeah. it, it really is not necessarily the artist itself. Because, And honestly, I was that way for a long time. I finally got to see them live, but Jane's Addiction was a band that, growing up, I, their radio yeah. hits were just kind of, and the porno for pyros. It was like, I, I really was not a big fan of Perry Farrell's voice until somebody kind of told me, like, you understand that Jane's Addiction, if it wasn't for them, this band, this band, this band, this band. You like all yeah. those? And I'm like, yeah. And they said, well, they w- they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for them. There's a number of bands in rock history who you can point to. And, you know, I, I think Velvet Underground's a great example. I think Sex Pistols is another one. Uh, you know, Kraftwerk is just, is you know, so they're being inducted in the early influence category. Now, traditionally, the Rock Hall's early influence category was sort of uh, um, designed to celebrate pre-rock and roll. So we're thinking about the roots, right? Country, blues, gospel, rhythm and blues, boogie woogie, things that were from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And by the way, this year, Charlie Patton, um, the great, you know, kind of father of the Delta blues, who made music 100 years ago, he's being honored, uh, you know, in that category. But I love that this year we expanded it by putting Gil Scott Heron, who's making music in the 70s and 80s, uh, but really kind of a... Uh, you know, a foundational influence to, to what eventually becomes, you know, uh, hip hop music and craft work who, like you said, maybe people don't, don't listen to craft work on like repeat and loop in their car. But when you listen to those songs, it is, it, it is EDM to, like, today. Like you don't have electronic dance music. You don't have Daft Punk um, without Kraftwerk. Uh, and Kraftwerk also influenced hip-hop music as well, but just, you know, their their stamp on what eventually becomes um, EDM is just, is, is just incredible. Yeah, and it, 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 when you're talking about with Velvet Underground, like a Captain Beefheart is another one, that everybody was influenced by that. And, and you think about with somebody, and the other one mentioning about Billy Preston was... Un- yeah. It's really interesting about the uh, the fifth Beatle because there's always everyone talking about who the fifth Beatle was, and it, there were people who would say, "Oh, well, of course, Pete Best because he was the original drummer," and then there were uh, uh, yeah, Harry, or, Neil, or Harry George Nielsen. Martin. Yeah, Murray, Murray the K. Uh, I think even called himself the fifth Beatle. Yeah. Uh, but Billy Preston was around the Beatles all the time. They loved hanging out with him. He was so influential. And and one of my favorite Billy Preston stories was one of the last things he ever did, which was he was dying. Was two, this was, uh, I think, like maybe 05, maybe two, early 2006. Stadium Arcadium, the Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, double album that came out, Yeah, Bill, they sent him over a tape. Billy Preston's basically dying. He's on his deathbed. He gets out of the bed performs on the on, on one of their tracks which i think is called warlocks he performs it does it well and it goes back to bed it was unbelievable yeah. but his work ethic for so many years like you hear nothing from nothing and some of the radio hits but another guy that just had his hand in everything in the music business in those days he really did you know uh, uh little richard once said like uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you know, he said that there is no one in the world who could play the piano like Billy Preston. And he, he, it's a similar story, I guess, in certain ways to Todd Rundgren, because he, he, he wears so many hats. He's a session musician. He's a singer. He's a songwriter. He's a great live musician. Uh, I think, you know, I would argue he's probably maybe the, the, the best person to, to put in that fifth Beatle category you know his work on uh you know on the beatles let it be and abbey road records uh he joins them on their on that final rooftop performance in fact if you get the single get back uh you know from 1970 i want to say it was the uh only time the beatles were credited with another artist it says the beatles with billy president uh wow. preston which is an unprecedented honor you know um but yeah, he uh, just could tear it up on on the stage. Was but also was just you know so in the pocket in those sessions too. And like you mentioned, he had two number one hits: "Will It Go Round in Circles" and "Nothing from Nothing." So he's sort of he he's sort of all over the place, kind of a, you know an, an essential part of uh, of that fabric of rock and roll history. 
Yeah, it, it's and it's funny because when you hear some something like nothing from nothing and you go like, oh, it's kind of like a, you know a cheesy early '70s song. Like you can, but you you'll put it on. It's on the '70s on Seven Station on Sirius, and you, you'll go, okay, this this is fine. But when you realize that the input that he put in, especially in the '60s just yeah. really made his career in a lot of those guys. Hey, John, before we let you go here, and uh, you got a busy day here, talk about the, the induction ceremony, where it's going to be, when it's going to be, and talk about the Rock Hall now that, uh, you know, hopefully we're coming out on this other side of the pandemic, and the Rock Hall is indeed open, right? Yeah, so, the, you know, uh, we're open seven days a week, every single day. Uh, you know, like most museums across the country, most places, we had a couple of closures last year just as, you know, case counts were rising. Um, but we are open. We've been open for months. It is, you know, like all museums across the country, very safe, uh, but still very fun. Like I always say, we are, we are safe, but we are not stale. So when you come to the museum, you're still going to hear, you know, rock and roll booming from the loudspeakers. You're still going to experience the power of rock and roll music, which I think we all need. I mean, I think this last year, it's nice to have some of those, uh, um, you know, distractions and kind of those moments of escape. But to your point, we are very excited about kind of the, the positive trajectory as we, uh, you know, get closer towards the fall. The induction ceremony will be in Cleveland uh, uh, October 30th at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, which is just an unbelievable venue. Um, there'll be a radio simulcast on Sirius XM. There, it'll be broadcast, uh, you know, at a later date. On, on HBO and HBO Max, but uh, it's going to be an in-person, you know, live experience. And whether that means there's, you know, some sort of, you know, capacity restrictions, we'll see where we are come, you know, summer and fall as tickets begin to go on sale. But we just can't wait. And I think the fans feel the same way, just to be able to experience live music and to celebrate it with this impressive uh, class is just going to be the icing, you know, on, on the cake. But, um, you know, so tickets will go on sale this summer. We will announce ticketing information in the coming weeks. Uh, Rock Hall members uh, and donors, as always, get exclusive opportunities for induction tickets. So if you want to learn more about that, visit rockhall.com. And also this summer, we're going to be opening up the brand new class of 2021 exhibit. So if if you like any of these artists, but you can't get it to Cleveland in the fall or whatever, you're going to have a whole year, a whole year to celebrate uh, the greatness of this year's inductees. That's fantastic. I, I've, I haven't been since the pandemic, uh, so I'm sure you guys, uh, it's uh, masks and uh, social distancing through the whole thing. Are there capacity right. limits over at the Rock Hall, too? Yeah, we have, we have, we have you know, uh, pretty strict capacity limits. We have advanced time ticketing. All of our ticketing is online, uh, you know, kind of touchless transactions. Um, as you mentioned, masks are required. Uh, social distancing and it, but it's, it's really, it's, it's worked. I mean, we, you know, I think like, like everybody, whenever it's appropriate, we, we will, you know, make, we will loosen those restrictions as, as, you know, as mandates begin to loosen. But for right now, we're, we're very proud of the experience that we've created. We're very proud of its, of its safety uh, and how our team executes on it every single day. And visitors have been great. I mean, I think, you know, nowadays we just sort of, as, as a society, have gotten used to some of these adjustments. And people come into the building, yeah, we're all wearing masks and we're a little more distanced, but we're st- people are still having a great time. They're still coming here to celebrate their birthday, their anniversary, uh, come here for their spring break. We're still seeing the crowds of people, but just, you know, we just spread them out a little bit more these days. Yeah, that's the, that's the one thing when anyone comes through Cleveland. So whether they're going from like New York to Chicago or vice versa, there's two places that everyone goes to. And it's either the Christmas Story House or the Rock Hall. And I, I worked at the Christmas Story House for, oh, for, no way. for a little bit. So it's one of those things where it's like. Uh, every, every single person who I would see at the Christmas Story House when giving a tour, and they'd be like, uh, "Yeah, we're uh, we're in town from uh, we're from Syracuse, and uh, we ju- we just came back from the Rock Hall too." So it's like it's one of those two things. So they're scheduling this at one o'clock and this at three o'clock. So give yourself some time, especially if you're going to go to the Rock Hall, because there's a lot to check out. John, thanks so much for uh, being on here and being a part of this, and 
the inductees uh, today. Very interesting class that's out there. I'm sure I'm sure there's probably a lot of online discussion, but I think there's something for everybody in this class. And uh, if you get a chance, folks, uh, go check out the Rock Hall right on the lakefront in downtown Cleveland, right off Route 2. And uh, I, I recommend it for a lot of people. And, you know, as things start to loosen up, I'm sure there's probably going to be some uh, concerts. I saw Parliament Funkadelic a couple of years ago right on the patio. So that was, that was fantastic. That was a great show. I was there for that, too. That was awesome. So, John. Yeah, I think all, all those things in due time will be coming back. We will have live music this summer, um, you know, kind of as appropriate. But we, we're just excited. We're, you know, today's a fun day. Thank you, as always, for your support. And, you know, once we announce ticketing information, if you want me back on, just just give us a holler. I'll be happy to uh, to share the good word. Absolutely. John, thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon. This is Tony Mazur here, and I'm talking to somebody who uh, is known as Mr. Music. His name is Norman Knight, and uh, he has a new book out. It's called The House That Rock Built, and talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, you go all the way back to significant dates back in 1983, 86, of course, the opening in 1995. And there are a lot of unsung heroes and figures and radio stations and media personalities and politicians and everybody that was a part of it. But if you want to talk about the Mount Rushmore of who helped bring the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to Cleveland, Ohio, it's Norman Knight. And he joins me here on the show. And uh, Norm, it's great to talk to you, uh, getting an opportunity. And, you know, you go back to how historic your career has been from the from the rock on volumes and everything and to the radio stations working in Cleveland, working in New York, Sirius XM Radio. It, it's uh, You've had quite a career, and I, this book is great because for a lot of people who kind of drive by on the lakeshore to go see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I don't know if how many people realize what went into getting this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the whole museum and the foundation and everything there into Cleveland, Ohio. Well, it was a very, well, first of all, Tony, thank you for the nice plug and everything else like that, and I appreciate that very, very much. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been involved with uh, rock and roll music all my life, and, uh, and when you're talking about my first Rock On book, it's, it's amazing because in November of 1974, 46 years ago, is when my uh, first book came out, and I didn't really I realize at the time uh, what I was getting myself into because now this this book, uh, my new book, is the ninth publication of books that I've done, and then I, I had no idea 46 years ago what I was embarking on. But anyway, the uh, the book was an idea that I, I had way back in 1982 uh, about about the Hall of Fame, not, uh, and I, I was thinking. In March of 1982 in New York, it's interesting. We went to a, a restaurant there with uh, several of my friends, and they were all in the in the entertainment business, the TV and everything else. And and that's when I first brought up the idea of a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, and uh, and the reason for that is because of my show when I was working on the radio on CBS FM in evenings from 6 to 10 p.m. Uh, many of the guests I had on my show became future Hall of Famers, like uh, Dion and the guy the Platters and a little, just little Anthony and the Imperials, just so many groups. And they always talked about Alan Freed. They always talked about uh, Cleveland and how important Cleveland was in their careers. And, I've always, and, I, and I brought it up to my friends when we had uh, dinner at this restaurant. I said, you know, it's interesting. Everybody keeps talking about how great Cleveland is. And, I, and there's no Hall of Fame. There's baseball, the football, and basketball. And uh, I started pursuing this with a couple of people at NBC and uh, CBS and uh, and then I even talked to my good friend Dick Clark because he was very very kind to write the introduction for my first book, and uh, he he liked the idea too. And then I uh, talked in the summer of '82 to Hank Laconte, the owner of the Agora nightclubs, and uh, he, I, he was I, I was in town at that time because it was a Chubby Checker concert, and I told him the idea of the Hall of Fame. He loved it, and uh, then it just started it started building, and then when uh, in December of 82, Stevie Van Zandt was in town doing a concert at the Agora. And uh, we, we all, everybody became excited about the idea. This is 1982. However, 
1983, every one of us got busy with other projects and it fell by the wayside. And it wasn't until August 2nd of 1983 when I got a phone call from Leslie Gore, who I first met in January of 1968 when I did uh, the Mike Douglas show out of Philadelphia. It was a national show and Bobby Darren was the co-host. And uh, Leslie and I became friends over the years and she knew my interest in rock and roll because I had her on the show many times and my historic background about rock and roll. And uh, she called me up on August 2nd of 83 about a a meeting that was going to be taking place about a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So on uh, August 10th of of 1983 on East 28th Street in Manhattan, I went there. And uh, there were some people from Radio City Music Hall and people from singing groups and everything else like that. And that was the beginning. But I, I really didn't think, I really didn't think anything was going to happen with the group. They were very, very nice people, and we had a lot of meetings, but I really didn't think anything was going to happen, and it wasn't until uh, later in the year in 1983 uh, that I got a call from Seymour Stein, who was the uh, president of Sire Records, the label that had Madonna, and Seymour Stein told me that uh, he'd like me to be involved. They're, they're putting together a rules and nominating committee, and he'd like me to be a part of it, and when I walked into the room and I saw the people that were there like Ahmed Erdogan and Seymour and Walter Yetnikoff, who was a top person with, uh, with uh, CBS, and Jan Wenner from Rolling Stone magazine, and Irving Azoff and Mo Austin, and these big-name people, uh, Bob Pittman, Clive Davis, Robert Stigwood. I says, wow, something's going to happen. And that was really the beginning for me to get involved with these people, and, and we had a lot of meetings. And my good friend Hank Lacanti back here in Cleveland knew that I was working with these people, and then when Cleveland came up as far as the discussion that hey we'd like to consider Cleveland for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Hank gave me a call and I flew into town in uh, in May of 1985 and I and I had an opportunity to to meet with uh, uh, Mike Benz and Bill Bryant and Hank Licati and Jules Belkin and Bill Smith of MMS Radio and uh, you know they, they, they said uh, would you consider going to New York and and, and getting them interested in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, and I said, well, of course. And I flew back to New York. I met with Ahmed Erdogan to try to convince him. And his first reaction to my thing was, no, we're going to build the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We're going to get a brownstone on 42nd Street that uh, was promised to us by uh, none other than Mayor Koch. And we're not going to do anything big about it. And uh, had I accepted that no and got up and walked out the door, then the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame would be a brownstone on 42nd Street, which was plaques on the wall. But I I, got, I guess I kind of convinced him to uh, to consider Cleveland because of Alan Freed and the location, and and you could really build where you couldn't build in New York because of it's expensive uh, real estate. And uh, so uh, he at least said, well, we're having our next meeting July 18th, and he told Susan Evans, the one his uh, associate there, put their name on the on the books and i called mike benz up and i said mike I, we got your foot in the door and he said well you got to work with us because we uh we don't know these people and that's how it all began so uh, i did, did not know from the time we had that the first meeting in july 18th of 1985 when all the people flew up uh mayor voinovich and jules belkin and bill bryant and dale finley and uh, Carl Hirsch and Bill Smith and Mike Benz and all these people flew up and had the first meeting with all the top officials and Ahmed Erdogan liked what he saw and he applauded the group and that was the beginning of uh, getting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to come to Cleveland and then again uh, Tony through the through the years through the years uh, I had no idea that I was going to be writing a book about this but I kept copious notes every single meeting that we had Every single one I wrote down, who was at the meeting, what was discussed, what the time element was involved, and everything else. So when I had an opportunity to do all that, uh, the, the the idea for a book was in the back of my mind, you know. So uh, there's, <laughs> there's my little summation of how... Uh, and, and actually, the idea for the book came about in, uh, in, 19, uh, in 2015, five years ago. And when we finally had the the idea to do a book, and it took us five long years, and Tom Tom uh, Farron did a terrific, terrific job in writing this book with me, and Janet McCoskey did a terrific, terrific job in supplying great photographs for the book, and Stevie Van Zandt was also uh, terrific in being able to supply, asked him for an introduction of the forward to the book, 
and I thought I'm going to get a paragraph. He gave me four and a half pages. So uh, I'm very, very proud of the book, needless to say, and it tells a real story, and I would like people to be able to purchase this book so they could really know how and why Cleveland got the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and that was the one thing that's interesting because, and I've heard the story of the kind of the beginnings of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame from a couple of different people who were involved, including uh, one of my old, uh, until recently, co-workers, Jeff Kinsbach, just before he retired. Uh, I've gotten to know John Gorman, the former program director of WMMS, and and basically there were a lot of other factors that kind of came into it because what you were saying was about New York City and saying, oh, we'll just you know have that brownstone in New York City, just put it in Manhattan. And John Gorman told me that he was talking to other people and saying, Look, if you put it in New York, it's just going to be another building. It's just going to be, oh, look, here's another museum in New York City. If you put it in Cleveland, it will be kind of that landmark, and it will be a destination for people to go. So other cities started getting involved in, uh, I guess, a couple of the others, like you mentioned with Dick Clark, that Philadelphia wanted in on a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because of Bandstand, San Francisco because of the Haight-Ashbury movement, Memphis because of, of course, Elvis, Detroit with Motown, and Cleveland which some some argued, at least at the time, and you can correct me, may have had one of the weaker cases because of, oh, Alan Free and the Moondog Coronation Ball and, you know, and everything. But Denny Sanders actually had a really good point and said, okay, and because they were criticizing Cleveland, saying, well, there's not that many great groups that have come out of Cleveland. And Denny Sanders had a great line that said, well, how many great baseball players came from Cooperstown, New York? How many great football players came out of Canton, Ohio? It's not necessarily where it's the the best bands are based out of and the best talent. It's where it originated from. And with Record Revolution and Alan Freed, who, you know, worked where I'm at currently right now at WAKR, it was uh, it was a real interesting process how that came about and uh, and Cleveland eventually got it. Yes, it's absolutely true. But <clears throat> the uh, the real reason for Cleveland getting it uh, there are two factors. Number one, determination the the the, the determination of the fans who six hundred sixty thousand signed a petition, hundred ten thousand called the USA Today with a telephone pole, and the other part is the being able to raise the money when you had Pat Sweeney and all these other people and uh, uh, Mike Benz working diligently on being able to raise the money, which it finally came up to $92 million. I mean, it, 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 that's, that's why Cleveland got it, because the other, other cities, sure, they wanted it because it would be a nice idea, but it never came close to being able to get it because they couldn't raise the money, and that was the big thing. And there, were, there was that poll where the USA Today put out the poll with the different cities, and Cleveland blew, out of the, blew it out of the water. And correct me if I'm wrong, they did a second poll, and they even completely outpaced them the second time around. And it was just amazing. And it was one of the few times that, especially in a competitive radio market at the time, with G98 and MMS and M105 and all these other, or I think it was Magic at that time, but all these other stations, that they all kind of came together under this one uh, shared goal at that time. Well, you know, it really started in January of January 20th, 1986, for the USA telephone poll began, and and that that really caught the eye of everybody because uh, uh, we had the very first induction ceremony take place uh, January 23rd, 1986. It was just before the induction ceremony, so everybody in New York, when they saw how how well. That Cleveland did in that poll, it, it really caught their attention. And then, of course, in March of 1986, I gave them the idea to do a. I said, "Hey, there was a Chuck Berry. I mean, um, the very first induction ceremony, uh, of course, was in January. But I said the very first Hall of uh, uh, Concert, Rock and Roll Concert, was the Moondog Coronation Ball, March 22nd, uh, 1952, uh, March 21st rather. And I and I said, you know what? March 21st is coming up on a Friday in 1986. I said, why don't we do a, a special tribute to uh, the Boondog? And uh, we did a tribute to Alan Freed uh, and uh, the people involved, with Governor Celeste, Mary Rose Okar, Mike Belkin, Henry Licanti, uh, Bill Smith, Kid Leo, Kim Colebrook, Michael Stanley, uh, all the people. And there was a big concert with Chuck Berry and uh, Eric Carmen at the uh, Terminal Tower and... Uh, Chubby Checker was in town and everything else like that. And when that, that really got the attention of the people in New York because they saw the enthusiasm promoting Alan Freed and everything else like that. And, uh, and then it just was, it wasn't uh, until uh, 
May 5th of 1986 that it was announced uh, that Cleveland got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, and that was it. <laughs> and then you had the location on the lakefront, the architecture by I.M. Pei, and uh, it, I mean, it's, it's celebrating this year 25 years of being there on the lakefront, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, I, I really recommend anywhere, wh- wherever you're listening, if you're in Cleveland, Akron, or if you're out of town, to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and realize what actually went into this. And when you read this book, The House That Rock Built, you really get an opportunity to see what went on, that it's not just a building. It's, it's, it's a fun building. It's right there on the lakefront that everybody can see. It's recognizable with the architecture, but there's way more to it. Uh, I, I think the last time I was there was last year. I got a chance to go see uh, George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic was playing there. You never know what you're going to see and who you're going to see at the Rock Hall, so I'm always a fan of heading down there. Uh, I know we're pressed for time, Norm. Uh, but you, you, know, you know, another thing, Tony, I'm, I have to say this. Uh, there, there are three important reasons why this book is important for me. Reason number one, if it hadn't been for Leslie Gore and my relationship with her and her calling me up in 1982, uh, 1983 reading, and and saying, hey, listen, let's have this, uh, ha- let's come to, let's have you come to this meeting on August second, 1983. If, if she hadn't called me, there would be no Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Period. So I want people number one to know about Leslie Gore and her role, or the unsung hero of this whole thing, because uh, of course we lost her unfortunately five years ago. But it'd be a nice time that anybody would ever the players. It's my party. Judy's turn to cry. You don't owe me any of those songs. Maybe I know. And 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 to be able to say, here's the little lady that was responsible for bringing the Hall of Fame to Cleveland. That's number one. Number two, I just want to be able to pull back the curtain to show all the people that were in New York and Cleveland that worked diligently to make sure that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame became a reality. That was very very important. And four and three, finally, the fans. Because had it not been the support of Northern Ohio and all the people that got out there and rallied and, and signed petitions and, and, and called radio stations and do, did everything they possibly could, and it's a little love letter to all of them to simply say thank you, thank you, thank you for making the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame such a smashing success for 25 years and bringing into the economy the money and creating jobs and everything else, which is a very, very important thing. So those are the three reasons why this book is important to me. I've had other books. I'm very, very proud of those books and everything else. Did. But this book is very, very important because it, it tells a story uh, about the how people of northern Ohio are very proud and, and very hardworking people to make the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a reality. And that's why I just want to be able to be able to. And with Christmas coming up, it's the ideal Christmas gift. It's, it's funny because late, I'm not the... the Mary Rose Okar, who was a former congresswoman, a wonderful, wonderful lady, she sent me a note. She loved the book, and she says, I'm buying 10 of them for, for friends of mine. <laughs> I had a buddy of mine in uh, Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, in Canada. He sent me an email. He says, I'm buying 25 of your books for Christmas presents, and I'm going to send you the name so you can write it on, on your letterhead and, 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 and send it back to me so I can give them as Christmas presents for friends. So the interesting thing, even Terry Stewart, the former uh, director of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame here in Cleveland, did the same thing. He said, I'm buying 10 copies of the book. Everybody's buying them for Christmas presents, which is, I think, an ideal gift when you're trying to figure out, what should I get someone for Christmas? You know, get them a, a bottle of liquor, get them a pair of uh, 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 socks or, or a necktie or something. No, they give them the book, and then they're very... And by the way, the book's at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If they contact the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I, uh, a month ago I signed 200 copies of the books at the gift shop at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I'm sure that if you call the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and ask for a book, they'll send it to you, and it's already autographed by me. So that's a, a perfect gift for someone for Christmas that's already autographed. That's fantastic. By the way, I gotta let you before we let you go, Norman. I know we're pressed for time and uh, let you go about your day, but uh, you've you've been in radio all these years and uh, you've been around rock music. And obviously, as we are here in the waning days of 2020, when we're uh, recording this, it's uh, rock and radio have kind of 
in a lot of ways seem like they've been going the way of the dodo bird in a lot of a lot of ways where rock music has kind of gone into this country like i think the the rock and roll bands of the maybe the 90s are doing country now uh and radio obviously is way different from the days of the streaming and spotify and of course the satellite radio is is there a do you, th- do you think it's going to come back around? Do you think we have a little bit of a future still with rock and radio? I mean, you've, you've worked with everyone from the days back at WCBS and, and, you know, Ron Lundy days and the Wolfman Jack days all the way till now. Is there, is there room for us uh, DJs and radio people and rock and rollers here <laughs> coming up in, in, in this crazy I'd time? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. The, the problem is over the years, you know, we've become – uh, with with all the technology and everything else, they they really feel that they, they, it's a cost factor. They feel we don't need to have eight disc jockeys working at a radio station where we could pick up a Sirius XM or something like that and satellite it and, and be able to or uh, do do uh, somebody doing a show and then have it run on stations all around the country. Uh, you know, it, it's it's sad because. The time that I grew up in radio and everything else like that as a youngster and listened to all the great disc jockeys that we had here in Cleveland on WHK and Wixie and all and, and all the stations and even MMS and all that, it was it was amazing because it was it was a terrific opportunity for these people to really get in and get to know the public and the people to know them and everything else like that. Then slowly but surely it started chipping away and other stations and now it's it deals with podcasts and and uh, the uh, internet radio and whatever the case may be but you know you never know i mean uh, that's the whole thing life is in cycles and sometimes uh, th- things turn around and people get tired of one thing and they look forward to it but uh, if you if you are if there's a young person interested in pursuing a career in broadcasting if you really feel you have something to offer and everything else again my one word in my whole life has always been determination that makes all the difference because had I not had determination in May of '85 with Armand Erdogan, this would not have happened. Or when when the, where we had a lot of uh, hardships when trying to build the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. So if you feel that this is what you want to do and you want to pursue it, stick to it, go for it. You know, and just you, you never know what's going to happen. The house that Rock built, how it took time, money, music moguls, corporate types politicians, media, artists, and fans to bring the Rock Hall to Cleveland, a book by Mr. Music, Norman Knight. Norm, thanks so much for joining me here. Uh, tell the family I said hello. I'll tell my family uh, that you said hello as yeah, well. It's interesting I, I, for your listeners to know that, uh, you know, growing up on the south side of Cleveland, that your dad and your mom, uh, your grandmother and grandfather and everything else, and, and my family and everything else, that we, we knew them very, very well. And I'm very, very proud of, of the relationship that we had and my brothers with the, your dad, my brother Don, and, and your dad, Mark, and everything else like that. We're all close, close friends growing up and everything else. And we see them every now and then at St. John, Kansas Church, <laughs> certain festivals, everything else. That One big happy family. And I thank you so much, Tony, for this opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. And I, all I want to say is rock on, buddy, okay? Absolutely. Thanks so much. Rock and roll, rock on. In 